thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Hey, welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. And I hope today is especially helpful to those of you who are interested not just in theology, as important as it is in doctrine, but in its application to real world situations. And this week, I want to help connect dots, so to speak, to conversations that I have had just this last week and discuss and analyze them for you. The first conversation is the man, late 30s, probably early 40s, I guess you could say, who has two or three uh, younger boys. And uh, he said to me, you know, I really appreciated what you wrote about the constitutional amendments that were on the ballot here in Tennessee to help me think about them uh, beyond just mere politics and, and apply spiritual thinking, biblical thinking, to the issues that were trying to be addressed by those constitutional amendments. And he said, you know, I realize I've got three young boys in my family that I need to be training and raising up the next generation to understand law and government. And um, I really need to know how to do that. And I just thought that was so wonderful that this father understood that understanding law and government does fall within the scope of the kingdom of God. Because the people of God are to be a governing body and they are to ultimately bring all things in subjection to Jesus Christ according to the word of God. The command of Genesis 1 to fill the earth, subdue it, to, to form it, was not revoked by the fall but simply made harder. And it's really, really hard right now for Christians to understand and think about matters of law and government, particularly on some complex issues. And here's the worst part. They sometimes have knee-jerk reactions to an issue and take positions that actually are contrary to the gospel and undermine the gospel. Now, I touched on this last week about the use of science in connection with the transgender issue. And I want to pick back up on it because it relates to some other conversations I've had and this issue of discipleship. Now, let me continue with the nature of the second conversation I had. It was with a well-respected Christian leader in a conservative, reformed church, actually, that uh, we were talking about the need to disciple people in the church in the area of government and law so that they could make sense of what's going on and would know how to cast their votes and how to exercise wisely the stewardship that God's given us in this realm of civil authority by the power of the ballot box. And in the course of the conversation, the person said, have you read Machen's book, Christianity and liberalism. And I said, well, I started in the first few chapters, but I hadn't finished. And he said, well, let me encourage you, just read the last chapter. So I did this week, 
and it pertains to this question of discipleship and the issue of government and law. So here are a couple of excerpts from that book. You can find it online. Just Google it, uh, Christianity and Liberalism. And this is from the last chapter. And here's some things that I thought were particularly helpful. A solid building cannot be constructed when all the materials are faulty. A blessed society cannot be formed out of men who are still under the curse of sin. Now, that right there is a powerful statement that if we believe that to be true, that there are two kinds of people in the world, covenant breakers and covenant keepers, those who are under the grace of God and those who are under the wrath of God, and do we expect to build a well-ordered, well-constructed society by electing covenant breakers and people under the wrath of God, well, I suspect there's something wrong and faulty with that thinking, right? Then he goes on and says this, human institutions are really to be molded, well, that's an important statement right there, because too often what I hear from Christians is that well, we're not to be concerned with human institutions, we're to be concerned with the church. Now, the reality is that the church should be concerned with human institutions because they are part of the cultural development that God expected in Genesis 1. So, so to say we should not be concerned with human institutions is contrary to the scripture. In fact, Paul says, there's no human authority. These institutions are established by God. Now, go and do your job that you're supposed to do in the garden, but now the garden's turned into public college. It's turned into the state of Tennessee's legislature. It's turned into the United States Supreme Court. But you're still supposed to garden that. I want that gardened, okay? And, and, the, and the church is the place that we would gather to learn how to garden. So... Machen continues, human institutions are really to be molded not by Christian principles accepted by the unsaved, but by Christian men. The true transformation of society will come by the influence of those who have themselves been redeemed. So in another conversation I had recently, in which I heard all these elaborate plans being made to elect Donald Trump and then put people in office, and maybe these people that would be put in office would, would be godly saved people. But if Donald Trump is a saved person, I, I see no fruit in terms of his sense of humility before God or man. And maybe he's humble before God and just not in front of man. But there's not much that would give me confidence that he's God's anointed to redeem and transform society. That doesn't mean God won't use him and that he's just a throwaway, but he'll be used by God in spite of the fact that he is who he is and he holds to some of the principles that he holds. Machen continues, but according to Christian belief, as well as according to liberalism, there is really to be a transformation of society. Now we certainly know that liberals and here, Machem's not talking about just political liberals, but theological liberals, people who minimize the cosmology, soteriology, and eschatology of the Bible, and in particular, the soteriology of the Bible. 
We know that they want to transform society. But if the church is not being so transformed in itself as a governing body, governing self in, in all manner of things, including, as it says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, lawsuits between believers, then we will never be qualified to govern the larger society if we can't govern in the church and we don't teach the principles of right government and right law. Now, I want to turn now to other conversations that had to do with this issue of transgenderism and legislation being filed in multiple states and it's been pursued in multiple states using only science to promote the idea that this is harmful to minors and doctors and hospitals should not remove uh, healthy reproductive organs. So recently there was a meeting uh, in the Nashville area in which, as I mentioned last week, a, a, a person was, was invited to speak and was touted as his credentials as an evolutionary biologist. Okay, I explained last week that when you read the person's website, his point on this matter of transgenderism is that biologically there are only two sexes, male and female, and when scientists start talking about transgenderism and transgender ideology, they undermine the credibility of scientists in the public mind and therefore undermine their credibility when they speak to matters like COVID and vaccinations and mask wearing. So as I said last week, I'm not so for sure that he's really concerned about transgender ideology as he is preserving the high priest status of science in our culture and here it comes in the church because the church has not discipled its people in fundamental ways. So, good friend of mine, no doubt a believer, gives me often wonderful scripture verses and great counsel to encourage me, told me he had attended this meeting with the evolutionary biologist, and as best I recall the conversation said he found some of the information helpful. Now, from a Christian perspective, I don't know what I would learn from an evolutionary biologist who is there to tell me there are two biological sexes. I would have known that from reading Genesis 1. I didn't need a scientist to give me any information in that regard that would be more helpful than what I already knew from the Word of God. He contributed nothing, or should have contributed nothing. Oh, the evolutionary biologist believes there's two sexes. <laughs> I knew that before I got here. I read the first two chapters of Genesis. So I'm not sure what the helpful part was, other than knowing that the people who have created this mess, that there is no given human nature, that there is nothing really true about matter, and that all is purposeless, random chance and mutation of molecules, has come to the same conclusion that we had by reading the first chapter of the Bible. But instead of joining his team to help remove the consequences to him of his own worldview, we should have invited him to come to God. We should have extended to him the gospel. 
that, well, we know what we are. You're the one that's confused. We know we've been made in the image of God. We know that bearing the image of God means that we are male and female. Knowing that we're male and female, we understand the nature of marriage. And we understand the nature of parent and child relationships. And we know what human beings are for. And I'm really sorry that there's nothing in your worldview that can tell us anything other than how the reproductive organs function. But see, Mr. Biologist, you're missing the point. What the point is, is according to the world, there is biological reality, but society has created the meaning to be given to these biological realities, and we can move the parts around, like on a Mr. Potato Head, and we can conform ourselves uh, to uh, male and female or something else. I, I hope that makes sense. Why we should have been saying to him, I can, I can actually already know what you know, but I know something more than you know. And what I really know is more glorious than you had ever imagined. We're made in the image of God. Isn't that incredible? Can I introduce you to who God is? And once we know who God is, we'll, we'll begin to have a faint glimmer of the glory of man that you've made him just a little lower than the angels. Could I introduce you to him? No, we're wanting to help him fight these mutilation surgeries over at Vanderbilt Hospital and other places. Now, I, I, I sent an email about this to another person prior to the speech, a person who purports to bring biblical principles and biblical truth into the realm of politics and public policy. And I said, isn't this really ironic? We're bringing in the evolutionists that created the problem to help us fight the problem. And this is the email I got back. It goes directly to what Machen said. Quote, while he may not come from a Christian perspective, well, that's the first sign that we need to be careful. It's what Machen was saying about solid buildings can't be constructed when the materials are faulty and a blessed society can't be formed out of men who are under the curse. They don't need to be molded by Christian principles accepted by the unsaved, but by Christian men. They were the first inkling that there's a problem here. His message is that two biological sexes are rooted in the fundamental laws of nature. Well, that's really great because even the Enlightenment people thought that there were fundamental laws of nature. They just didn't think that they, they had God behind them and that they were givens except in matters of biology and everything else was a matter of convention, which is what we're dealing with here in ideology. Strike two. He's battling the pseudoscience in his field that would say otherwise. He's part of the pseudoscience that's in his field. He starts with a presupposition that everything's evolving and scientists know the truth and we can't undermine our credibility. There is no given meaning, just biology. He may not know it, but he's defending the created order as anyone should. Yes, he's defending the created order based upon a worldview that he can't live with and we're helping him out rather than extending the gospel to him. He says, so I'm cautious to throw out the baby with the bathwater when this topic, his science may indeed echo the truth of what God has established and ordained. Then that go right back to what Machem said, not by Christian principles accepted by the unsaved, but by Christian men. The true transformation will come by those who themselves have been redeemed. 
and transformed. So if you would, just picture with me this bus, two buses, and they're going on the road. And, and one of them is heading, just picture it in your mind, west, okay, that says, evolution is the truth about the nature of created reality, that everything's evolved and it, it's random mutations and we don't even know where all it may be going. The other bus is Christian and it's east and it's saying, actually, there is a God who has created a well-ordered cosmology that therefore has implications for anthropology that were made in the image of God and that's the most glorious thing that we could ever imagine and being made in the image of God means that he said I need male and female to fully express that and I'm going to need families and I'm going to need children because I'm going to need lots and lots of people even remotely begin to express the full glory of the image of God it's going to take billions of people uh, for that to happen so I, I need you to multiply and if the if the world's going to be filled with the knowledge of God, then as the waters cover the sea, well, we're going to have to have people everywhere that know the glory of God. So, so that's the one bus. And, and what happens is we get to this situation at Vanderbilt and other hospitals where we're mutilating children. And, and at that point, our buses are parallel to each other on the road. One was coming from the west and going east. One was coming from the east and going west. And at this little place, right in front of Vanderbilt Hospital, the buses are parallel to one another. And what happens is the Christians jump off their bus to join the evolutionist and help him make his argument, rather than inviting the evolutionist to join our bus. Because to be honest, all we really care about is stopping the mutilation of children, a worthy goal, but we have no interest in restoring a biblical cosmology and anthropology. And if we don't restore those, we will never have a reformed society, a transformed society, and transformed institutions. And the problem I have with the church as it is today, the church that will not speak to these issues of law and government, which was true of the person with whom I spoke, who seemed to shrink the kingdom of God down to those huddled in a certain facility who meet on Sundays, is that if we don't disciple the people in our churches, these people will. The person that I just quoted from, the person who brought in the evolutionary biologists. It's not a question of whether they will or will not be discipled. It is a question of who will disciple them. Now, I'm going to close with something else that Machen said that I think is very the true way in which to examine a spiritual movement is in its logical relations. Now, obviously, this evolutionary biologist is not a spiritual movement, although it is a religious movement, a religious grounded, a religion grounded in man and man's autonomy. But there is a logic to it. And Machen continues, logic is the great dynamic and the logical implications of any way of thinking are sooner or later certain to be worked out. So when the Christian relies only on science, then science someday is liable to say something that Christians really don't like, but they will have capitulated to the worldview that science is determinative. And so when science says something is harmful, that must be true. And when they protest, they will have to realize that they have damned and condemned themselves by not earlier seeing the fallacy 
of relying on evolution and science to tell us what it means to be human, what it means to be male and female, and whether or not we should self-mutilate. Machem continues, naturalistic liberalism. Now, keep in mind, Machem is here not talking about political liberalism. He's talking about theological liberalism, which is, I would suggest, what I just described. It's a liberalism that says that, that the evolutionary biologist can tell us something about being male and female that we don't already know, or that, that I don't have to filter through what I would know from the Bible. As my pastor often says, we must always start with who is God and what has he done, and therefore what is he doing. We don't start with science. We filter science through the word of God to make sure that we're seeing the science correctly, that we're not taking illogical positions. And so that's a liberal theology that says we need to turn to evolutionary biologists to help us know how to think through and defend against transgenderism. And what he says is this, this kind of naturalistic liberalism, this kind of theology that skips over God's cosmology and anthropology and says, well, it, it comes out at the same place, even though if it starts in different places, differs from Christianity in its view of God, of man, of the seat of authority, and of the way of salvation. And it differs from Christianity not only in theology, but in the whole of life. In other words, Christianity informs the whole of life, and science can be an aid. But science does not determine the whole of life. It can't determine the whole of life if we're made in the image of God. Now, Machem says this, and this is very important, and here's how I want to close. What is the duty of Christian men at such a time? The time I'm talking about right now. What's going on right now where godless thinking is discipling Christians because Christians haven't been discipled in the area of government and law. What is the duty in particular of Christian officers in the church? Now this is coming from the chapter this officer in a church wanted me to read. Here's what Machem says. In the first place, they should encourage those who are engaging in the intellectual and spiritual struggle. So that's what I'm trying to do by making sure this transgender bill in Tennessee is not resting on science, but is resting on the anthropological views that are resident in common law regarding the nature of man and woman and mothers and fathers and parent and children. I'm trying to restore that biblical anthropology that common law reflected, not just stop the surgeries. They should encourage them in that. They should not say, in the sense in which some laymen say it, that more time should be devoted to the propagation of Christianity and less to the defense of Christianity. Now what I hear a lot of times from preachers is we just need to be preaching the gospel. We just need to be getting people saved. But if we don't know that the gospel encompasses law and government and that the, the kingdom of God is the whole of God's creation because he wants it back, that the institutions of men have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ as it says in Revelation, well, those people aren't preaching the gospel. Now, let me, let me continue, because uh, I, I said that off the cuff, but you're going to see it in Machem here. 
Certainly, there should be propagation of Christianity. That's what I'm for. I'm for the propagation of Christianity by saying, do you see what the world is saying? Now, let's, let's put that in the lens of the light of the truth of God's word and see how it fits, because when we do that, we will see God. We'll see the glory of God. Is that not preaching the gospel? Is that not propagating Christianity? I think so. But Machen continues, believers should certainly not content themselves with warding off attacks, but should also unfold in an orderly and positive way the full riches of the gospel. Now, my friends, what I see a lot going on is Christians are trying to ward off attacks by relying on religious liberty and all these other things to create a little space where they can live, perhaps unimpeded, but they're not unfolding an orderly and positive way to the full riches of the gospel. We're just trying to stop this mutilation rather than restore a biblical cosmology and a biblical anthropology that is full of glory and eternal glory. No, let's just, let's just stop that hospital from doing that. What a small vision that is. What a small view of the kingdom of God that is. And then he goes on and says this, but far more is usually meant by those who call for less defense and more propagation. What they really intend is the discouragement of the whole intellectual defense of the faith. And their words come as a blow in the face of those who are fighting the great battle. And my friends, that is exactly true because I feel that. I feel it everywhere from leaders in the church who want to preach the gospel and the gospel does not change our view of law and government and when we say we're not going to bring that into our churches when we're not going to teach our people on that when we're going to let other organizations disciple our people it is a great blow now next week i'm going to talk about the great hope when you get hit with those kinds of blows well there is good news because our faith and our confidence in God accomplishing his purpose does not rest on the clergy nor the people that assemble on Sunday morning inside a particular building. It rests ultimately in God. And next week, I want to take a look at that through the lens of Psalm 37. Because this week, it has meant a whole lot to me. And I hope it will to you after what I know is a somewhat distressing analysis of the state of the church in our current culture. And I hope you'll join me next week for the next episode of God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.